This message was presented at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Okay, well, welcome back, and we've got some new faces, and that is fantastic as well. Um, for those of you who are new, let's just reintroduce ourselves real quick here. Um, my name is Ben Martin. I am the Children and Family Discipleship Pastor at Pioneer Memorial Church, and I married up. This is my wife, Brianna, and she has been a teacher, an educator, school administrator, and right now she has a blog, DiscipleMama.com, and how to bring our kids to Jesus is something that we are both very passionate about um, as far as careers, but also as parents, and how can we disciple our children so that they grow up knowing only Jesus. So let's begin with a word of prayer. Dearest Heavenly Father, and God, we, we humbly come to you and ask that you will be with us as we talk about this next part. This part is one of those things that as a parent, it, it's mildly terrifying. But we know that we can do this because we do not have to do this alone. The God of the universe walks with us. And so we thank you for that, and we invite you to join us as we talk about this. Lead this conversation in your name. Amen. Um, if anyone needs a paper or pens, we've got some up front. We can bring that to you, so just raise your hand, and we would be. Oh, and, and we apparently need to talk louder, so that's good, too. Um, one of the things you realize very, very early as a parent is your kids want to be just like you, which is terrifying because I don't always want to be just like me. And so my oldest son, Emmett, one day he's packing up a bag and we said, what are you doing? And he said, oh, I'm going to a lunch meeting. And I go, oh. And at the church, there's the back hallway where all the offices are and there's a tiny door that's under the baptistry. And he tells people that that's his office. He's told people to go ahead and put things on his desk and so forth. Um, but one of those moments where it became the most clear that he wanted to be with me is I was out mowing the lawn, and he had his little lawnmower, and he's walking right beside me, accomplishing nothing but feeling oh so proud. But just watching these kids and the... The two boys, their absolute favorite game to play is baptisms. Those boys will do baptisms all day long. Um, it's really exciting. And even the two-year-old, like, he loves baptizing. And But he's also figured out there's a formula to this. And so if you're not noticing the baptism, he will call your attention to it and say, you need to say Amen and makes that really clear. Yes, my my 2-year-old was baptizing my um my 6 foot 4 dad. 
like a biker mustache, um, like, I don't know, probably 27 times a day over our Christmas um, time with my family. Very, very fun and exciting. We had to say amen every time, every time. Can't miss it. I was just going to, this, this is one more story about how our kids try to model us. Can you hear me in the back? I'm trying to speak up. Um, and this isn't a good one for my husband to tell. Um, because he says things like, and a mere 40 hours later, our son was born. You can tell he doesn't take it seriously, right? So before our second son was born, um, obviously I was pregnant, and I had morning sickness, and also an 18-month-old. And those two things are really, really fun to have at the same time. Um, Some of you have probably experienced that sort of a thing. Um, And I had morning sickness, but calling it morning sickness is also one of those things that's really a lie because it was all the time sickness for 20 weeks. So I was pretty miserable as a pregnant lady. And my little energetic 18-month-old boy was my constant companion. Um, And... Uh, He wanted to be with me, even though I was kind of a miserable person to be around. He wanted to be with me, and he wanted to be like me. And it was amazing to me. I realized it for sure one day when I smelled a smell. And if you have experienced morning sickness or all-the-time sickness as a pregnant woman, you know that it doesn't even necessarily have to be a bad smell that you smell. You can smell a smell and bad things happen. So I smelled a smell, I think it was like lotion or chapstick and it just was too much for me. I ran to the bathroom, I leaned over the toilet and stuff happened. I'm not gonna go into detail, but when I noticed a disturbance at my side. I realized that Emmett, my little boy, was also leaning over the toilet and gleefully making the most disgusting noises that he could muster and just smiling at me so big. Oh, mommy, this is fun. Do it again. And I realized it doesn't matter what we're doing where we are, how we're feeling, when we're doing we are modeling to our kids all the time. We don't have to be trying. I certainly wasn't thinking about teaching him by example in that moment, but he was still learning from me, and, you know, and I learned from him too because I actually smiled a little, and it was a bad situation, but... Um, but it, I could laugh about it a little bit later. Um, but he was just so excited to spend that time with me and to just do what I was doing with me. And that's, we don't get that very often. And our kids, when they're very young, they're pretty awesome companions, but we are teaching them all the time. It's a pretty grave responsibility. Well, this is not working, so that's cool. Um, I I can talk if you want to see if you can figure that out. So, 
there are there's no question about it as oh, there there we go um, we're saved by relationship and if you don't believe me let's turn to John chapter 15 if you have your Bible if not I'm assuming you have a phone um, let's turn to John chapter 15 and here is Jesus is sharing some of his last messages before the cross he is making everything as clear as he possibly can to his disciples. And here in the beginning of John chapter 15, you have the vine and the branches. And I just keep coming back to this because in a few verses, you've got the entire gospel. You've got the entire Christian walk. Abide in me and I in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit, by itself unless it abides in the vine neither can you unless you abide in me I am the vine you are the branches those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch that withers such branches are gathered thrown into the fire and burned and this abiding in him and him in us this becomes the defining line of whether or not we're producing fruit, whether or not we're accomplishing anything as Christians, and it also becomes the defining line between those who are saved and those who are not. It's a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. And in Deuteronomy 6, we talked about this in the first session, what we are to pass on to our children is that relationship. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. That relationship is what we are to pass on. And that is tricky. We ended the first session a little bit by talking about how do you pass on relationships. And that's not easy. You can't just say like, hey, here's my friend. Now they're your friend too. Good. Done. No. Relationships take time. They take energy. They take getting to know each other. They take every possible moment and if we want the strongest relationship for our kids then we've got to model that because oh i skipped something there i think yeah so well we'll just okay um well, I'll, I'll do this and come back. Um, here's a sad fact. And this is everything we know about relationships is what we have learned by seeing other relationships. This is scary. Because the way our parents interact is what we base our idea of what marriage should look like. And we, that doesn't mean that we're going to do everything the way our parents did because sometimes we look at it and we say, well, I don't want that. And so I'm going to do things differently. And this is why also, I mean, in choosing a spouse, you've got to be careful because if you two grew up in completely different homes with completely different dynamics, you're entering into a marriage with completely two different ideas of what that should look like and how it should function. And so it's tricky. But everything we understand about relationships is what we've seen. It, relationships aren't taught like anything else. You can have somebody stand up front and tell you, this is what a healthy relationship should be. 
but you're not able to fully comprehend that until you've seen that in action. And so relationships are based on what we've seen, which is terrifying because we don't have perfect relationships. We don't have perfect relationships with our spouses. We don't have perfect relationships with God because every single day we're failing. We're messing up. And how do we model for our kids what we are struggling with? Um, but this is, this is the good news. Our children do not need us to be perfect. They need us to point them to the perfect God that we are seeking to know. And this is, and we talked a little bit about this before, this is where we allow grace to come in. And we acknowledge, hey, we, we messed up. What I just did there, that wasn't the ideal. And we, we keep moving forward. So when, I mean, we know the importance of modeling our own relationships because, um, because of course, the relationships that we have and form are based on relationships that we have observed in our lives. So let's take a minute um, and share with your table and it doesn't have to be a super specific example. Um, you can get, you can, um, you can share details if you want to. You don't have to. Whatever you're comfortable doing. Um, but think about a relationship that you've observed that you learned something positive from that you try to model a relationship in your life on. So maybe you've observed a marriage relationship. Maybe it was your parents. Maybe it was your grandparents. Or maybe it was a... a a neighbor or somebody from church um, that you thought, wow, the way they do that is really great. I want to try to do that in my marriage too. Or maybe it was a, a mother-daughter relationship or a father-son relationship or anything. Just uh, think about a relationship that you've observed that you thought, wow, I'd like to kind of try to be that way in my relationship. And maybe share... You can share um, what it is, or you can just share who it was. Or just, I just want you to be thinking about that. So take a moment and think about a relationship that you've observed that you thought, wow, I could learn something from watching these people. So what are some relationships that you have learned, some relationships that in your life have helped shape the person that you are or want to be? The question is, what are some relationships that have helped shape you? What are some of these relationships that you've seen or witnessed and said, you know, that's a relationship I'd like something to strive towards? I hope this is a good idea. When I lived in California, there was a family, and the mom had children raising from early teen uh, to uh, maybe five or six. And she would say to them sometimes, what are you going to do when you turn 18 or when you get old enough to make your own decisions? So she might give them direction, but she would say, what are you going to do? And I think that's a good idea. They help them start thinking ahead, um, but I'm not sure. What do you think? 
Okay, so an example there of a mother who had a relationship with her kids where she was urging them to make their own decisions. And I mean, that that is our ultimate goal as parents, is to equip our kids to make their own decisions healthily. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I feel like as as they're making those decisions, I mean, we're not going to start with a two-year-old saying like, hey, you make all the decisions, but allowing them to make some decisions as they are maturing so that by the time they get to 18, they are fully equipped to make the decisions of life. That, that is our goal, yes. Okay, what are, what are some other relationships that have helped shape who you are? I know for me personally, my father has had a huge impact on how I see the world, how I interact with other people. Um, he did a fantastic job of always bringing strangers home. Like, all kinds of strangers he brought into our home. Um, one time when I was young, he brought a woman named Pearl DeRozier, who was a known, like, shoplifter. Like, most of the stores in town would not allow her in. And he brought her home. Um, another time, we were down in Florida, and he came home with a guy who babysat us for a few days and had a wonderful time. His name was Pierre. Um, later, I found out that Pierre was a heroin addict. Um, and at first, that seems like this is terrible parenting. <laughs> but he modeled what it actually looks like to live out that Christian experience. What it actually looks like to not live in a bubble, but to be reaching out and to be telling other people about Jesus. Because Pierre, when he brought him home, my Aunt Leola, who was in her late 90s at that time, sat down and shared with Pierre the entire gospel. From Adam and Eve to the second coming. And so I want us to be thinking as, as parents intentionally, what are some of those things we've witnessed that we want our children also to see? How, how have those people who've impacted our lives and how can we model that to our children? So we have a few steps for modeling human relationships um, to our kids. And one of them is to disagree respectfully, which makes a lot of sense, right? Um, but it's also a lot easier said than done. Um, but disagreeing respectfully, so that looks different for different relationships, right? Um, when, when you're disagreeing with your spouse, being respectful about it sometimes means... Um, you know, in, in general, it would probably mean um, not attacking them personally when you disagree with them, but talking about the 
action or the decision or the idea, not the person, you know, you don't say you're really stupid that you made this decision that's not very respectful, but more like, I wish you hadn't made this decision, <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. Um, disagree respectfully. It might also look a little bit different. It might look like disagreeing behind closed doors instead of in public. Um, you know, some people are real happy to air everything in front of everybody, um, but you or your spouse might not be that person. And it's very um, respectful to think about what they're, how they're going to feel about who you're disagreeing with them or arguing with them in front of. Um, and, and with kids in mind, it's really important to think about that too. If we make a parenting decision, my husband and I, that one of, one of us disagrees with, um, if I make a decision that my husband disagrees with, I don't want him to disagree with me in front of my child about that. I'd rather have us talk about it and then come to a consensus and talk to our child about it when we're on a more united front. Um, no, we know that it's really hard to parent as a united front, but when we're not a united front, it's even harder. Um, so when you're disagreeing with your spouse about your kids especially, please talk, talk to them about it in a way that doesn't confuse your children, first of all, about who's in charge, uh, because you're both in charge. And also, uh, talk about it in a way that shows them, again, how to disagree respectfully with their friends, their brothers and sisters, with you. Um, if if we can't do it, we can't expect our kids to do it very well because we're not teaching them how. Um, apologize when necessary. It's not always easy to apologize. Um, but how many of us have made our kids apologize for something? How many of you have made? I have. Um, and, you know, I'm not, <laughs> I don't love those forced apologies. Um, but, but what we actually want is we want our kids to apologize because they are actually sorry, right? I mean, our main goal in life is not children who apologize. It's children who are sorry when they need to apologize. And really, really, we'd like them to not have to be sorry because they're so kind and wonderful and respectful and loving to everyone around them. But apologies are necessary. We all have to make them sometimes or at least we all should make them sometimes. Um, so apologize. Apologize to your spouse when, when you have done something that troubles them. Um, apologize even to your children sometimes. And I've heard a lot of people say that they don't have to apologize to their kids because they're adults. I'm an adult. I don't need to apologize to you. Well, maybe sometimes you don't need to apologize to your kids, but sometimes you probably do. There have been a lot of times when I've needed to apologize to my kids because guess what? I'm not a perfect parent. I make mistakes, and sometimes my children receive the consequences of the mistakes that I make, and they deserve an apology just as much as anyone else that I do wrong to. Um, our kids are people. They're God's children, and... 
we are not better than them because we're older than them. And if we've done something that we would apologize to appear for, then we probably should apologize to our kids for it too. Um, and I mean, sometimes, sometimes it's hard to apologize to, to anyone. A lot of people struggle with apologizing um, because it's something that makes us feel ashamed or sometimes, I mean, sometimes we have trouble apologizing because we're really not sorry. And so um, I just think, you know, prayer is going to help us through that. And also realizing that getting to the, reaching our goal of that saving relationship with Jesus Christ for us and for our kids, it's going to look a lot more like discipline, like apologizing and moving on, getting that forgiveness, giving that forgiveness, and moving on than it is like refusing to apologize because we're older than our kids. Um, And refusing to apologize because we're right and our spouse is wrong. Always. Um, Apologies are hard, but they're necessary. And if we want our kids to learn that, we need to be willing to sometimes, um, you know, we need to sometimes humble ourselves and give apologies. If they're necessary, give them. And show empathy and compassion. Um, Who doesn't want to be empathized with? I mean, we all want empathy and we all want compassion. Even when our kids do something wrong, and we are actually right as parents to discipline them, to give them consequences that they don't necessarily love and enjoy, we can still empathize with them. It's okay. You don't have to pretend that this is a completely painless experience because because life is painful sometimes. And we've all felt down in the dumps because of mistakes that we've made when we were in the wrong, right? If you felt bad, even though something is your own fault, doesn't mean that you don't um, that, you, that you wouldn't benefit from some empathy and some compassion. And a lot of times, we refuse empathy and compassion to our kids when they're in the wrong, because they're in the wrong. But we're not teaching the right lesson. Um, so, so just think about that, empathy and compassion, and then serve. Um, when Jesus came, he didn't say, well, you know what? I'm perfect. I don't make mistakes. Um, you need to serve me. He got to choose. I learned this in a sermon that my husband preached uh, recently. He doesn't know I'm going to use this. Um, but so just recently for our children's celebration of Sabbath, my husband did a little short sermonette and he said that Jesus got to choose his parents. And I thought, wow, I never really thought about that before. But, you know, Jesus, Jesus got to, you know, he got to plan. This was a plan, right? It's the plan of salvation. God wasn't just winging it. So he got to choose his parents. And he could have chosen parents with a lot more money. He could have chosen to be born in, like, the Hilton and not the state. You know what I mean? He could have chosen... A lot of different experiences, and he didn't. He chose service, and 
And servant leadership is how Jesus discipled the people around him. And so we need to think of um, our relationships, you know, our roles in our relationships. My role as a wife, my husband's role as a husband is a servant role. We serve each other, or at least we should. It doesn't always work that way. Um, but that's, that's the role. Our role as a parent is to serve our kids and not in a, a yeah, I'm going to do all of your laundry for the rest of your life kind of a way. That's part of it. Um, but, but serving as far as taking care of the way their, their emotional care, um, serving, serving physically, serving emotionally, serving mentally, we need to be um, serving each other in our relationships, serving our friends, teaching our kids how we really want them to be out there in the world. And I think often when we think about modeling relationships, especially our marriage, how do we model that to the kids? It's easy to want them to never see you fight. It's easy for you you to want them to only see happiness and goodness but that's not real. And you can also do a disservice to your children if you don't teach them how to work through problems. Modeling doesn't just mean showing them all the good. It's also showing them how to work through when things go wrong. How to be honest, when dad has messed up, when I have not been as kind, as loving as I should be, how, how do we work through that? And so when you mess up in front of your kids, model working through that also. Um, sorry, that was just a, a tangent because I'm the one who messes up. So um, when your kids are born, and you guys know this, Everything changes. Absolutely every facet of your life is different. There are some people who are under the impression that kids are going to fit into their current lifestyle and they're just going to keep moving ahead, but that's not real. Um, one of the things that I was not expecting is how having children would affect my devotional life. Oh, yeah, I, I spend a lot more time praying, but that quiet in the morning, that's gone. That's gone because those boys wake up early. And um, both me and my wife, we like to talk. That is hereditary. Those two boys talk so much so much like and it's absolutely non-stop and they don't have to take turns even they've realized they can both talk simultaneously non-stop and so at first what I started doing is just getting up before them so I still had that quiet for devotions and that's good 
here's the downside to that. One of the relationships we need to model is our relationship with Jesus. It is important for your children to see your relationship with Jesus. It's important for them to see you reading your Bible. It's important for them to see you pray. And I'm not just talking family worships, and those are great. We're going to be talking about those in our next session. But also that personal relationship. How do you live that out? How, how do you maintain that relationship with God? That is also important. And when we talk about our children wanting to be just like us, if they see you reading your Bible, they're going to want to read their Bible. It is the best motivator you can give your kids for having that relationship with Jesus, for having that personal devotional life. It's not easier. Oh, yeah, it's, it'd be way easier to just get up before them and do it. But instead, it's trying to read in the storm. But it's important for them to see. It's important for them to understand. And it's also important because those days when you don't take time, your kids will call you out on it. It's important for us too. And I think that if we remember our primary goal as parents is to bring our kids into that relationship with Jesus Christ, then as parents, this has to be a key part of who we are. Having that relationship with Jesus Christ. Spending time in the Word. And if, if you're like me and not necessarily a good reader and struggle to concentrate when stuff is going on, you can say, hey, I'm going downstairs to spend some time reading the Bible right now. Because they still know that that's, that's what's happening, that that's an important part of your life. They can understand that. But find ways for that to work. Find ways to model that as well. And the other aspects of that relationship with God, that prayer, that how you live out that Christian experience, that service that we talked about earlier, all of those things coming together. Let your kids see that. I'm just going to add a little bit to that, too. I, there are a lot of mornings when my husband is reading his Bible and he has, he, he has a hard time tuning out the noise. So I'm a teacher. I can ignore any level of noise if I put my mind to it to get a task done. Um, I mean, at some point I reach a point, but I can do it. Ben has a harder time pushing through. And so a lot of times what he'll do is he'll say, boys, I need to study my Bible. If you want to sit with me quietly, you can be with me. Because really all they want is to play with daddy. Um, and so a lot of times I'll find two little boys sitting on my husband's lap and the Bible on the table and my kids trying to read the Bible too. They're not always really quiet. But they can, they can sit still sometimes. 
sometimes we read it aloud to them um, just so that we can hear ourselves think and they have something to listen to. Um, but there are ways to include our kids. And that doesn't mean that you never take that quiet time away, like he was saying, because we need that too. Um, we need to be fed in, a, in the optimal environment when we can. But um, in reality, that doesn't happen for all parents every day, especially when your kids are really young. Um, so let them see how you work at your relationship with God because they're going to need to know how to do that too in the future. Um, so it's an important part of modeling. Um, so I already shared my little story about how you're modeling all the time even when you're not necessarily trying, even in the throes of morning sickness. And um, We all know, we've all heard our kids pop out with something that we wished we hadn't taught to them accidentally. You know, um, it might be oh, the way we've talked to somebody. They might exhibit some attitude that they learned from us. Sometimes you just hear, sometimes you hear it in yourself, right? Have you ever opened your mouth and heard your mother talking or your dad talking? And you're like, where did that come from? And our kids do it to us too. Um, my son, my son Emmett, um, one day was trying to get Ben's attention. And one thing that we do as parents is, you know, little kids, they do good with a physical cue, right? So some, sometimes we'll, we'll, take, we'll take our son's face and we'll kind of like get down to his level and look at his eyes and say, Emmett, listen, or whatever it is, Emmett, pick up your toys, you know, just so that he knows we're looking at him, there's eye contact. Well, Ben realized one day when Emmett took Ben's cheeks between his little tiny hands and pointed his face right at him and he said, Daddy, you're not listening to me. <laughs> and our kids, are, our kids are learning from us, not always the things that we mean for them to learn. You know, we wish that what he was picking up was clean your room, and what he was picking up is, this is how you get people to listen to you. Um, it works. But there, there's a lot of hidden curriculum. We're teaching things that we're not trying to teach. The things that we do are the things that we're teaching, not the things that we say we should do. Not the things that we wish we should do, and not the things that we tell our kids to do. We're not teaching those things. People don't learn a lot by being told stuff. People learn a lot by watching stuff, by trying it out. They learn, they learn in active ways, right? So sitting and listening is great, but if you don't see it in practice or put it into practice yourself, you're not going to have a great chance of really learning it. So the... There are a lot of things that we do and say and how we act and our attitudes and our demeanors that we are teaching our kids all the time without even thinking about it, without intending to. And can we be completely aware of every single thing that we're doing every single day? No, obviously we can't. Um, but... It is important to, to be thinking about when I say that I want my child to share, and then when I say, that's mommy's, that's mommy's, that's mommy's, that's, don't touch, that's daddy's, 
Where does that come in? When does mommy have to share? When does daddy have to share? And so maybe it's better to think about how you can talk to kids about some things are good for sharing and some things are not. Or maybe think about sharing once in a while. Um, but it's just teaching those, those things that, that they're learning whether or not we're trying to teach. Does that make sense? So just um, realize that no matter what you're doing or no matter what you're telling your kids you're doing, the things that the way you actually are living is teaching them the lesson, not the way that you say you want to live. If you're trying to instill patience in your children, and I think I say hold on, hold on, hold on about a thousand times a day to each of my children. Do you tell your children to wait? I mean, we have to tell our children to wait sometimes, right? Because I can't make two sandwiches at once. I can't, you know, instantly have dinner on the table. It takes time. The things that we need to do take, take, the things that we need to do take time. So sometimes waiting is important, right? <laughs> but when we say that the things that we have to do can't wait, only they have to wait, or at least that's what, what they see, then that's sending a different message. Wait, 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 wait. Mommy has to go hurry up. Hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. <laughs> Do you see what I'm saying? Uh, you know, a lot of times it's, oh, you want to go to the park? Mommy has to finish this, we're gonna do this, we're gonna do this, I have to do this, I need to make a phone call, oh, wait a minute, sorry, I need to talk to daddy for a second. Wait, 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 okay, now we can go to the park, but hurry up, we only have 10 minutes now. <laughs> um, we gotta get home. We, we do a lot of that to our kids, and so teaching patients, um, is something that I know I've recognized in my own parenting that I teach a different lesson often than what I'm actually trying to teach them. Um, so just being aware of that, those things that we're not really thinking about that we're teaching, but we are by the way we act. Um, and so one, one thing that we can do to be a little bit more aware and intentional about what we're teaching our kids um, is we can think about core values. Um, and you can't, you can't be really intentional about passing your values onto your kids if you haven't decided what they are. Okay, and we all have values. And our values, presumably as Christian parents, are values that are in support of our main goal, which is a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. Does that make sense to everybody? So we talked about discipline being one of those pieces that kind of helps us get there to our main goal. Core values are another piece that help us get there. So, but you have to, you have to know what your values are in order to be intentional about passing them on. Because you're probably passing on some values that you don't realize that you're passing on. So if you really think about it, and um, form some family core values um, that are articulated specifically for your family, then um, you're going to be set up just like having a plan for discipline. 
helps set you up better for better success. Having a plan for your core values helps set you up for better success. So we're going to talk about that. And this is like these, they're kind of tiny because I was trying to fit a lot on a slide. Guys, I'm sorry. Um, but, but these are some examples of family values. Now, um, there is in your handouts um, under, I think it's under the speaker information for this, there's handouts and there's a family value, family core values worksheet that you can feel free at home. You can print it out. You can do it online. You can, um, there's also a link to it in the session two handout resources handout. There's a link to it online. And if you click that link, it'll take you to Google docs and it will make a copy of it for you in your, in your own Google drive. Um, but you can make your own family core value statement. And this is something that I really recommend that you do because Ben and I hadn't done it for quite a while and we did about a year ago now. And it was really helpful just having the conversation and sitting down and working through it. Um, because even though we're, we're on the same page a lot of the time, I'm gonna be honest, um, we're blessed that way. But Sometimes we think about things very differently because our families of origin are very different from each other. The way that we were raised is pretty different from each other, and so we approach things from different directions sometimes. And so just having the conversation really helped. But um, I'm gonna ask you to raise your hand if you have a really good idea of like four or five core values for your family. A few. There are a few. How many of those few have written them down? Okay. How many of you have discussed them with your spouse or your partner if you have one? Okay. So it looks like if you have thought about your core values intentionally, you've at least talked to them, talked to your spouse about them or your... your um, your partner. And, and here's the thing, guys. A lot of us haven't done that. And I think, you know, a lot of successful people have made it through life without having a family core values um, statement. But I think it's a good thing to do um, because, because it makes it so um, much more um, tangible and achievable, and it just makes it so much easier to work together as a family toward your goal if you're all on the same page. So you have to get it out of your mind and out into the world and on a piece of paper. Um, so 70% of Christian families, Christian parents that were surveyed, said that they have core values as a family, they have, you know, some strong values, only 30% of them have really articulated them, okay? And it's important to, to articulate them, first of all, at least with your spouse, um, and especially if you have older kids, you want to be talking about, it's not a secret, right? This is not like secret information, it's not a proprietary blend that you can't share with your kids, you don't need to hold on to this information as parents. Share it with your kids. These are our family values. 
this is what is important to us. Um, and, and there's, yeah, there's absolutely no benefit to keeping it inside your brain. You want it out there. And you want to be on the same page with the other people in your family on that, um, especially your spouse. So, so, sorry, lost my train of thought. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to share at your table, and I want you to kind of like look at these examples of family values. They're broken down into sections. So there's spiritual and religious values. There's character values, civic values, social values, work values, and home values. And this is not even close to being an exhaustive list. It's just supposed to sort of like kickstart your imagination. Um, and these are pretty, some of them are pretty, um, specific values. Some of them are more general. This is supposed to be a more specific list. So, um, you know, even something like, um, you know, oral health could be on this list, right? So it would include things like, this is why we brush our teeth, because oral health is important to us. Okay, so it's kind of a specific thing. Now, you might be imagining that you don't want to go through a list of 87 values for your family every day at your family meeting. Um, that's not the thing. This is a set of more specific values, which ideally you would boil down into maybe a set of four or five. But I just want you to kind of look at this list, think about this. You can choose things from this list. You can choose things from your own mind. What are some values that are important to you as a family? What do you like about this list? What is, um, and what are some things that this list kind of inspires you to think about as a core value? And if you are one of those people who has articulated a core values list, maybe share your tips for doing that at your table. So I'm just gonna give you a couple of minutes to talk about some family values. Okay, this, this could be a very long discussion, right? Because there's really merit to pretty much, I mean, pretty much if you're in this session, you're going to have a lot of overlap of common values, right? So we could talk to each other all day about this. Um, but I would really, really encourage you to take the worksheet. It's really simple. It has the steps um, uh, for how to go through this process. Um, and... Nope. I thought I had the steps on a slide also. Apparently I don't. Um, but you, you can find the steps on the handout, but I can talk to you about them really quick. So first of all is you make a list kind of like this one that's on the screen, but personal for your family. So what are, your, what are all the values? Just spit them all out on a piece of paper. Um, list all of them. And then um, narrow it down. So how Ben and I did that was we clumped ones that went together together. So we kind of categorized them maybe a little bit like this. Like, oh, these are character values. These are work values. Okay. Then um, we took our, our values and we, um, we boiled them down into kind of category values. So, so for our little boys, super simple super simple because they need to be able to understand it or it doesn't mean anything to them. So 
our, our family list of core values that we actually talk to our kids about is love God, love your family, love other people, and love yourself. Okay, so for example, so when we talk about brushing our teeth, if we have a major toothbrushing meltdown, we don't say brush your teeth because, you know, gingivitis is really bad and, you know, ultimately it's a risk factor for so many other health conditions and your cardiovascular health is really important to us. No, we say brushing your teeth is one way that you love yourself because you're taking care of your body. And it also shows your love for God because the Holy Spirit can live in your body and we want to keep it healthy. So we relate the little things to the main core values. Does that make sense to everybody? Now, you're probably going to want to be a little more um, advanced if you have teenagers, um, you know, but... I. Honestly, love God, love yourself, love your family, and love others' works. Um, but do what works for you. And kind of put those, all those little things that you can't possibly talk about, each of them every single day, put them into categories. And those main three, four, five categories, those will be your core values. Does that make sense? These are not necessarily core values. These are good values that fall under the umbrellas of your core values. So, um, so then you do that. You, you make your list. You narrow it down. Then you actually start talking about it. So we started talking about our kids. Does, is, is this showing love for God? How can we show love for God in this situation? Um, talking about it. And that helped us a lot with what we were talking about earlier with using common language with our spouse. We were both talking about love God. Does this show love for your family? You know? Um, and it, and it just made it a lot simpler for us to communicate as a family. Then pay attention to values related growth. Hey, I love that. I didn't have to remind you to brush your teeth last night. You're really showing love for your for yourself. You're taking care of your body. I love that. You know, pay attention to it and talk about it. Um, and then also what we already mentioned, just identifying the values that you're unintentionally passing on and, and, and try to be aware of those little things. When they start popping up in your kids, you're going to know, oops. Yeah, they, they caught on to that. So how can we turn that around? How can I show them a better way? Barna Research did some research just this last year where they tried to figure out what attributes of a family help them best pass on their values to the next generation. And especially, how do they pass on those religious values? And so they studied a bunch of different families, and they came up basically with four different quadrants of families. Those who don't seem to have any like family worship, they're not reading the Bible, they're not praying at home, and they only go to church occasionally, unsurprisingly, were not doing a good job of passing on that relationship to the next generation. Then there was the next group who, they went to church regularly, but not a lot of like worship or prayer at home. Again, 
did not do very well at passing on those beliefs to the next generation. The next group, and you would think this would be the one that would be doing a fantastic job. They went to church regularly. They had family worship. They had devotional life. They had prayer. And still, they were not the group that was best passing on that to their children. There was a fourth quadrant, and this brought in one more aspect, and that is hospitality. They were bringing other people into their home. They were also still going to church and having those family worships and prayer and Bible study, all of those things. But at first when I heard this, it completely caught me off guard because it's not the kind of thing we think about. But I realized that fourth quadrant makes sense because this is how your kids see the way you live out that relationship with Jesus Christ. How does this affect our relationships with those around us? Our relationship with Jesus Christ needs to shape our relationship with every single person in our world. So, model this to your children because this is the one thing we want to pass on. Let's pray. Dearest Heavenly Father, God, you have modeled what this looks like because you sent your son to this earth to serve us. You've modeled what it means to be a loving father. You have modeled what healthy relationships look like. So God, I pray that you will lead us as parents, as your disciples, to model that to those around us. In your name, amen. This message was recorded at the GYC conference by many or by few in Louisville, Kentucky. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to challenge and inspire young people to take a sacrificial initiative for Christ. To download other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org.